Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Um, we are a full week into the new year. We are a full week into 2023. Last week we uh, kicked things off with a vision for 2023, and we looked straight out of Matthew chapter 9, um, and I'm diving right in here, 2023. Kids can be dismissed. My wife literally said, hey, don't forget the kids in the service, and I did it, didn't I? I just like, I love that song. I'm like, let's go. So fourth through sixth grade kids, um, you can go to the back with Hannah, um, and you are dismissed. Uh, if any of you wanted to stay up here, you're also welcome, but um, that is the time to go. So, um, Matthew 9, last week, we kicked off our vision uh, of 2023 out of Matthew 9, and, and we took a vision straight from Jesus. In Matthew 9, we saw that he is uh, preaching, and he's teaching, and he's demonstrating the kingdom. He's, he's not just talking about it, he's, he's demonstrating that the king has come and the kingdom has come. And so he's, he's doing all of these things, and he looks at the crowd, and he says, uh, it says he sees this crowd and they're helpless and they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. But instead of being discouraged, instead of despair and hopelessness, Jesus sees a harvest. And so then he turns to his disciples and he encourages them then to begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers for that harvest. To go to God and ask God to Raise up laborers for this harvest that Jesus sees. And so last week I encouraged you to begin to pray directly to the Lord of the harvest, and to go before the throne of grace and to catch a vision directly from the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of salvation, the one who sees it and sees that it's plentiful, to grab his heart, his vision, directly from him, as you ask him to raise up laborers for his harvest. And, and so that's part of what prayer is, isn't it? Like we're praying to the king. We're catching his vision for how he sees the world. To see it as he does. Not just when we look at this world. Not just to see people who are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. But to see a harvest. It's easy to slip into negativity. It's easy to slip into despair and hopelessness, right? I mean, I preached the sermon on this last week, and I still find myself looking at crowds and being like, gosh, what, what can even be done, right? Like, I, I find myself in situations, and I'm like, gosh, you're so lost. Like, you just don't get it. Have you ever felt that? you ever been in a situation, you're just like, I just wish they could just get it. Part of that is because you see what he sees. You want them to get it. Do you know the only one who can make those things click is the Holy Spirit. But he's invited us to enter into this harvest. And so the way that he's called us, the first thing he's called us to do, the first thing he says that's necessary in order for the harvest to be brought in, for lost souls to be brought in, is prayer. You got to tap into his heart. You got to see things the way he sees it. Because it's, it's, when you get overwhelmed and even hopeless, he calls us beyond that. He wants us to see this world. He wants us to see through it all with his eyes to catch his vision, especially because it looks a lot different than the way we tend to see things. See, his great commission to us to his church, to his people, is to go and make disciples of the nations. And when it's talking about the nations there, what it means, what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 28 when he says, go and make the disciples of the nations, is he's talking about introducing those who are far from God to the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. The nations at that time were far from God. That's who he's talking about. Those who are far from God not simply to go and find people who already know me and to know me more. That's not what he's saying. The Great Commission is not go find people who know me and help them know me more. That's great. That is great. Hear me. That is good. We embrace people. Like that's part of discipleship and, and, and sanctification. But hear this. The Great Commission is central. 
Because if helping others know Jesus more does not include knowing his heart for the harvest more, then your idea of Jesus is likely a plastic Jesus that's been created in your image for your comfort rather than his calling and his commission. Because we were created for his glory, to bring glory to God, amen? The best way we bring glory to God on this side of heaven, great commission. Great commission. Making disciples who make disciples. Those reaching, engaging, embracing, equipping, empowering, encouraging those who are far from God into the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people who think they're Christian. A lot of people who who live and sort of associate their lives with Jesus, but that Jesus is a plastic Jesus who's made in their image. And so rather than the Savior King that we're presented with in the Bible, he's a Jesus that just kind of makes things, is there to kind of make their life better. And if he doesn't, then he's easily dismissed. And when the heat turns up, that plastic Jesus melts. Now he is more amazing than we can imagine, but he's definitely often calling us out of our comfort zones. He's the Savior King who calls us out of the comfort of our boats onto the water. You ever walked on water before? Me either, but I felt like it. Feel like it often. Planting this church, whole lot of walking on water. Very impossible for this guy. Requires a whole lot of faith, right? Like, it's going, he calls us into the unknown, into the wilderness where we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what laboring in his harvest fields is like. Like, don't get it twisted. This is not easy believism. That's not what Christianity is actually about. It's the great commission. And guys, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. But we live in a world that doesn't care about it. In fact, we live in a world that is ruled by our enemy that loves to make you feel more comfortable on the sidelines. Don't even rock the boat, much less step out of it. Because when things do get uncomfortable in this world, because we've been following the Spirit of God, you know who becomes our ultimate comforter? The Spirit of God. We leave behind that which we've held on to for our comfort. And we grab a hold of him because when you're out there, man, when you're following him and you're doing when you're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, God, but I'm following you. And he's your only comfort and that is he's everything you need. And there's no place I'd rather be than in the arms of Jesus. Amen? So our city is filled with people who think honestly that they're Christians. Because they associate with Christianity and maybe even observe God's rules. At least compared to their friends or what they see on TV. But this isn't about observing rules. This is about receiving the love and grace of Christ and loving God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. Not so he'll love you back, but because you've received his love that was demonstrated through the cross and the resurrection. Like, this is the good news. This is the gospel. That God became a man, and he lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death we deserved to die. And he conquered death in the grave through the resurrection, paving the way to eternal life, and it's an eternal life with God relationship that starts now, not just one day when we die, but it starts now, the moment you place your faith and hope in Him, and His Spirit fills you, and watch this, He changes you from the inside out. Changes your desires, your affections. He begins to impart and even download and recreate and renew the things that you actually care about. That's sanctification. It starts with salvation, but it brings you into this relationship where he is making you new. And guys, the harvest in Virginia Beach is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
So we're praying to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers in Risen Church to bring in a harvest of souls in 2023. Now it's important to note that the, the, the same disciples that Jesus instructs to begin to pray to the Lord of the harvest in Matthew 9 are the same people he then commissions with authority to share the good news of the kingdom in Matthew 10. The same people he says, you pray, lean into the Lord of the harvest in Matthew 9, they're the same people that after they have crawled up into the Father's lap and caught his heart, are the same people that he says, okay, now go. And so last week I challenged you to ask the Spirit of God to bring to mind one person who is close to you but far from God. To commit to praying for them and to ask God to provide opportunities to share the gospel with them and, and invite them to church. I wanna, if you weren't here, this is our challenge. This is a challenge I want to uh, 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 submit to you. We did this a couple of years ago, um, asking who's your one? Who's your one person who's far from God but close to you? And so we're asking this year, who's your one more? One more person in our city who's far from God but close to you. To pray and ask God to open your eyes to the harvest. One more person who you can commit to pray for, to share the gospel with, to invite to church, and to embrace into gospel community. And to even begin praying that they would come to church by Easter this year, and to even join in beach baptisms this summer, if not sooner. And so who's your one more? Who's your one more? Maybe you're newer to our church here at Risen, and um, maybe you're thinking, man, I'd love to do that, but honestly, I feel like I'm not really connected myself and so listen to me, if that's you, <laughs> to be honest with you, it's hard to embrace somebody else into gospel community that you're not really connected in. Right? Like, hear this. One of the enemy's most effective tactics for subverting the Great Commission is to keep those who are commissioned on the fringes of true gospel community. That, that, he, he's, the enemy would much rather keep you comfortable and happy, even prosperous in this world, than for you to engage in the Great Commission. Remember, gospel community isn't just for your purposes and your preferences and your comfort. It's for his purposes and his commission. That's what we are, commissional community. Amen? That's what we do. That's what we're about here. And so the best way to get connected um, here at Risen is through an event that we call The Weekender, which is actually coming up next weekend. Hey-oh! You guys excited? Anyway? All right. Yeah? Okay. So um, The Weekender is actually, it's Friday and a Saturday, the 13th and 14th of January. And so uh, we're doing it on the rooftop of Hangar Law. Um, and so we're going to be drinking coffee, sharing a meal. Uh, we're going to be talking about our mission, vision, values as a church, um, and we'll uh, provide real opportunities for you to get connected. And so today is the last day to sign up for next week's Weekender. So if you're interested and you haven't signed up yet, you can do so with the uh, QR code or go to our website at risenchurchbb.com. So you'll hear more about that. That's good. I, I hope you hear constantly about that because it's really important. So it's not a pressure, it's just a way for you to lean in and just give you more opportunities to connect. And so um, this morning, though, we're going to continue pressing into God's heart for the harvest, and we're going to look at a parable in Matthew 13 known as the parable of the sower. We just heard it read, Heather read that to us earlier, Matthew 13, verse 1 through 9, so let's look at it again. Look with me, Matthew 13, verse 1 through 9, and we're going to dive in here. So it says this, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. So whenever you hear something like that, whenever you, you key in on terms when we're reading scripture, because you want to understand the context, because context is key when understanding what uh, scriptures mean, right? And so when he says that same day, uh, it, it's like, okay, well, what was happening earlier that same day? And so that earlier that same day, Jesus had been preaching and demonstrating that the king and kingdom had come near to them, and he was inviting them by saying things like, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so one of the key things about this whole harvest scenario and the Great Commission is that we are not operating out of this like sense of anxiety 
We are operating out of rest. What we're doing is we're looking at a world and we're saying they're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. I have a good shepherd. And you tap into his heart and you're like, let me introduce you to my shepherd. I'm not your shepherd. I'm not the one I'm pointing you to. I'm not saying, look how awesome I am. I'm saying, look how awesome he is. I was helpless and harassed, and without him, I'm still helpless and harassed. Let me introduce you to a good shepherd. The one I can rest and take comfort in. That's what this is about. And so Jesus is saying, Come to me. He's inviting them. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And while some were coming to him for rest, others rejected him, even saying he was from the prince of demons. They justified his capacity for the miraculous by saying that he does it by the power of Beelzebub. Now, I want you to catch this. Don't let that slip. Don't just think, oh, yeah, that's... They're silly. They didn't understand who Jesus was. They're calling the all-glorious Son of God the second person of the Trinity who spoke the universe into existence. They're accusing him of operating under the power of demons. Like, the people he created, the people drawing breath only by his mercy are calling him demonic. They deserved to be absolutely obliterated into eternal punishment right then. But he didn't strike them down with a word. They deserved it. But in his mercy, he actually engaged them. He even met them where they were, even in their hostility. That's the context of the day. That's what had happened that same day. Some were receiving Jesus, and some were rejecting him, and some weren't quite sure what to do with him. And so, verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Changed environments. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So unlike our beaches, where the, the waves weren't loud. So if you've ever been to like our beach baptisms or something, you can be 15 feet from me, and I'm shouting at the top of my lungs just so you can hear me. You guys ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been down there, it can get loud, right? Well, that's not the context here. Like, they were in a situation where the hills created sort of like an acoustic backdrop that actually amplified his voice across the waters so that he, they could, he could be easily heard. So he pushes away onto this boat, and he's speaking across still waters the words of life. There's actually an allusion here to the way God spoke creation into existence over the still waters in Genesis 1. Nugget. Pretty cool, isn't it? And so whenever I try to speak to you guys on our beaches, I'm like shouting, right? I'm trying to like get, raise my voice and try, I'm like, gosh, waves, everything, you know. This is like, but Jesus, he just kicked back on a boat. Like, come hang out with me. Creation is my auditorium. <laughs> Look at verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's it. Sermon over. Right? Like the, and, and the response from the crowds and even the disciples was like a resounding, what? Right? Like I've told you before that my first sermon I preached to a bunch of college kids and uh, in the middle of it I was like, does that make sense? And uh, a guy in the middle of the congregation goes, no! Right? So this, this passage kind of reminds me of that except, you know, that was probably my fault. Jesus knows what he's doing, right? Um, but that's kind of what's going on, though. 
right? Like, they're like, What's, what is happening? So remember, Jesus was encountering many people that day who had no ears to hear what he was saying. And so now he begins to speak to them in parables. Matthew 13, verse 34 says this, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so parables are basically a story with a point. Often one story can have many points. And so here Jesus is actually telling us a parable about having ears to hear parables. Because within a parable, things are both hidden and revealed. And so the word parable in Greek actually means to cast alongside of. And so this parable, again, is a parable about having ears to hear parables. And so Jesus would take a concept like the kingdom of God and he would cast it alongside a fam- uh, like a, another concept like, like raising a family or fishing or farming or, or, or even business transactions. He would use these and cast alongside it the principles of the kingdom. And he would preach in a way that forced everyone who heard it to lean into and engage with what he was saying in order to understand it or get it. They had to chew on it. They had to pray about it. They had to lean into the Spirit. They had to seek and to knock and to ask. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8, Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So somebody rolls in here, and they're just hung over, and they're like, Hi, that didn't make any sense to me at all. This is crazy. Jesus isn't real. And they leave. It's like, hear me, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But there's power in leaning in and coming back and walking alongside. Like in order to grasp the meaning of a parable, it requires something of the listener. Like Jesus wasn't simply spoon-feeding them. He was inviting them to lean in. And as we're going to see, that's exactly what his true disciples do. Again, many of you may have felt this way when you first started coming, but you came back and you leaned in, praise God, and suddenly things started to click. It's like the Spirit started illuminating. Maybe it was through community groups, or maybe you were just through just conversation and, and, and leaning in and prayer. And so for the rest of our time, I want to talk about two responsibilities that are on display here in this parable. So the first responsibility is the responsibility to share the gospel to cast the seed. And then the second responsibility is the responsibility to receive the gospel, to receive the seed. And so first of all, if you are a Christian, you have a responsibility to share the gospel. You've been given the ability to respond and the responsibility to do so. And so the Great Commission itself makes it clear. Matthew 28, we've been talking about this. Go and make disciples of the nations. Make disciples who make disciples. But the Bible's filled with this reminder. Like we've been called to fulfill the ministry of reconciling the lost world to its creator through Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.18. We're called to do the work of the evangelist, 2 Timothy 4.5, right? Romans 10.14 says this, How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? No, ignorance is not an excuse because the world is born into condemnation. We all deserve condemnation and eternal damnation because of the fallen state of sin. What we don't deserve is grace. But in his grace... He's liberated us. He's rescued us. And as soon as he rescues you, he commissions you to be a part of the rescue team. And he says, go. And so the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, receive a vision of the harvest, and receive your commission into those harvest fields. Now, years ago, uh, I was commissioned 
through a church in North Carolina to lead a college ministry at Duke University. And they had just started engaging the campus a year before, and so they had a handful of students that were uh, coming to the church, and they wanted their classmates to know Christ. But they were pretty discouraged because the other college ministries that were at our church uh, were at like UNC and NC State, and they had hundreds of college students in them. They were huge college ministries, and we had five, <laughs> around five. So we were tiny in comparison. And so one night, I read this parable to these very discouraged students from Matthew 13, and I read this over them, and I asked them how they saw that parable playing itself out on their campus at Duke. And their response was the same. Every seed that they threw out there was almost immediately rejected. Like the seed that fell along the hard-packed ground or the path and the hard ground, and the birds came and they devoured it, that's, that's how they saw their situation. Like, that's how they viewed their entire circumstance. But the more we talked, the more it became apparent that they were being very selective in the way they shared the gospel. They were walking around with their little gospel seed in their pocket, and maybe they were even looking, but they were, what they were looking for was not opportunities, but the path of least resistance. They were looking for that one person where they had enough, maybe it was like their sister, or someone really, really, really close to them where they couldn't really screw it up too bad, and they were just kind of like, boop, Jesus, no, okay. Right? And that's essentially what was going on. It was like they were walking along the path with their heads down, and they were only sharing the gospel with people they felt comfortable talking to instead of slinging and casting seeds everywhere, like we see in the parable, and letting the Spirit of God do what only the Spirit of God can do. So they're walking along, only looking for what might not be too risky. And they felt rejected. So I encouraged them to lift their eyes and to pray to the Lord of the harvest and to see the fields as He does. Not simply in their own comfort zones or their own preferences or their own limited perspectives, but to begin to boldly cast seeds everywhere whether they thought they'd take root or not and trust the Holy Spirit to do, again, what only the Holy Spirit can do. To live your life as a nobody trying to tell somebody about the somebody trying to tell everybody about the somebody who wants to save everybody, right? I'll say that again because I kind of got backwards. To live a life as a nobody trying to tell everybody about the somebody who wants to save everybody. Like that's the commission. And they began to pray to the Lord of the harvest and they began to see the harvest fields. And man, these students, they started, I loved it. I was actually kind of shocked. They started slinging seeds, man. And many rejected it, but guess what? Some didn't. Like, they started sharing the gospel with everybody. One of the girls, a girl named Melody, real quiet girl, really, really unassuming. She was a physics major, and she um, started sharing the gospel with her professor. Nobel Peace Prize laureate. This guy is crazy intimidating, and Melody would stay after class to engage with this professor of this atheist professor about the love of God in Christ. Look, she seemed timid, but this girl turned out to be this little bold lioness for the kingdom. It was awesome. She led so many people to Christ. I don't think she led that professor, but I, I think she definitely moved him along. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they were casting these gospel seeds everywhere to the lowly, to the arrogant, and all across the board. And when one got rescued, they joined the rescue mission. And the best part was how unexpected the two main groups that we tapped into was. I loved this. Like, we got to watch these two little mini revivals on campus between the football team at Duke and students from China. Like, two opposite ends of the social spectrum, at least on that campus. And I don't know if you've ever seen a little Chinese girl share life in Christ with an all-conference ACC linebacker, but it's on another level. And it's like, this is what God can do totally unexpected. But during those two years, it got to the point where if I found out you were on the football team or if you were an atheist from China, I just expected you were about to get radically saved. Like we were even having weekly Bible studies in the house of one of the Duke football coaches with the team. It was packed out. Like I got to baptize multiple football players along with Coach Durfee in the water. Like we call, it actually caused enough of a stir um, with the Duke administration 
at least the admin director, starting, they, they started to say that we weren't an official campus ministry and that we were illegally there, and they actually were like, we're going to arrest you, and we're going to kick you out. And it was like, no, you're not, and you can't. And that's, there was a whole thing. Um, and now an update just under 10 years later, that particular admin director isn't there anymore, but the ministry still is. And so lift your eyes, right? Like, lift your eyes to the Lord of the harvest and cast those gospel seeds and let the Spirit do what only He can do. And, and, and that doesn't mean you don't care about how they land. Like part of the reason Jesus spoke in parables here is because we, He wanted people to lean in with all their hearts, not just their minds. Like remember this. God desires love, not understanding. Not just understanding. He wants understanding, but the understanding he wants for you is to understand his love and to return it. That's what he's after. Like this isn't just about convincing people of what is true. This is a huge misunderstanding and misconception of the gospel in America. Like this is not just about convincing people of what is true. There are plenty of people in this world who actually believe the Bible is true and that Jesus is who he says he is, but they don't love him. And their hearts are far from him. Remember, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, your God. To love him. And yes, when we love him, we'll obey him. But you know what? You can obey him and not love him. You absolutely can. But you can't really love him and not desire to obey him. And so this is what he calls us to ultimately is love. That's what it's about. Guys, he, he doesn't ultimately call us to fruitfulness. He call, the fruitfulness he desires from you, love. That's what he's after. True obedience is loving obedience. Otherwise, it's actually not obedience. It's just observance. It's not relationship. It's just rules. Like we're not telling people what they should do. We're inviting people to behold the king and the bridegroom, the savior of our souls. So it's easy to think that if we can just convince people that the Bible is true or that Jesus is who he says he is, then people will follow him. Right? That's not true, guys. That's not true at all. Like even the demons know that he is who he says he is and believe that the Bible is true. But they hate him and their hearts are far from him. Love is the issue. The question isn't so much about whether it's true. That matters. That matters. But the bigger question is, do you want it to be true? Do you love him? Do you believe he's worthy of your surrender and your worship? Do you believe he's trustworthy? Many would rather live a lie they love than the truth they despise. That's why the gospel isn't just about what's true, it's about his love. Praise God, he doesn't just leave us where he finds us though, amen? Like, we serve a God who changes hearts. <laughs> he changes from the inside out. No matter where you are on that journey, He can meet you there. He can redeem that. And He calls us to be patient with one another in the process, too. Amen? And so, like, at the end of the, jo- of the book of John, after Peter has denied Christ three times and even probably shocked himself that he did, how does Jesus restore Peter? Does He look at him and and, and, and ask him three times if he believed in him? Does he say, Peter, do you believe in me? Nope. Does he say, Peter, do you trust me even? No. What's he say? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And then what flows out of that? His commission. Everything flows out of that. 
And the best way to introduce others to the love of God in Christ is to love them with his love right where they are. And the only way you can do that is to understand and receive his love for yourself and respond to it. That's why we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Not only for ourselves, but the people around us. And so to enter into that conversation that he's been having with them and cast those gospel seeds. Now hear me, that doesn't mean that every time you share the gospel or talk about Jesus, the people are immediately going to confess their sins, repent, and believe, right? Like, praise God, they might. But there's this helpful tool for understanding uh, this journey that people are on uh, with what's, what's called the Engel scale. I've shared it with you before. I'm going to share it with you again because I think it's very helpful even for our prayer life. So imagine if I have a scale right here, like a line from here to here, right? And so this starts with negative 10, and then it's like negative 9, 8, negative 7, you know, and then 0. 0 is salvation, and then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, positive 10. So you've got the negative side, we've got the positive side. So if negative 10 is like hard-hearted, deep hostility against anything Jesus, okay? And then negative four, negative five, something like that, that might be, you know, uh, maybe they finally understand the gospel and who he is, but their hearts are still far from him. They just don't love him. They don't necessarily care. And then zero would be surrender and salvation. Full-fledged, spirit-filled, blood-bought, grace-filled people, right? Zero. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, just growing deeper and higher into his love and his grace, being matured in your calling and your identity. This is sanctification. This negative is the road to salvation. Zero is salvation. The rest, sanctification. And that sanctification, by the way, it probably doesn't stop at ten. It's like ten quadrillion, okay, for eternity. And so, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 3, what we find is that one plants, another waters, but God gives the growth. In other words, you might meet someone who's super hostile to God, and then their hearts, through uh, a couple conversations, maybe their hearts just change, and maybe they're like, okay, I, I don't necessarily hate him, but I don't necessarily understand the gospel yet. Negative six. And then someone else comes along. And, and brings them from negative six to negative two. And I, 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 I said before, like, negative ten, normally people think sharing the gospel is just taking people from negative one to zero in salvation. But oftentimes, it's people are just moving along this, this spectrum. And so, yes, can you have somebody go from negative ten to zero? Absolutely. I would probably say that most people are more likely to go from negative ten to zero faster than they are to go from negative one to zero. And the reason for that is people are deceived into believing that they actually are following Jesus, even though they don't love him. Does that make sense? And so I don't want you to be intimidated. Trust the Spirit to do what the Spirit only can do. Because one plants, the other waters, but God gives the growth. Whether it's rejected or not, it's what he delights in, and it's worship. And so there's a responsibility to share the gospel, but there's also a responsibility to receive the gospel. And I think, again, this applies both to our salvation and our sanctification, meaning this applies to those who are in the negatives and in the positives on that scale. So to the unbeliever in growing closer to salvation and for the believer in growing up and maturing in their relationship to Jesus. And so look back at uh, verse 10. Jesus tells this parable, which requires people to lean in. And the disciples are like, Jesus, I think that's a bit over everybody's head. Can you tone it down a little bit? What's going on? Like, why are you talking in parables? Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Notice they're leaning into Jesus. They're asking questions. They're not just like, this guy's crazy. I don't understand. And they leave. They're leaning in. So he says, but to them it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, Jesus says, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. So what's he saying? He's saying the Spirit's the one that brings revelation. He's saying it requires, though, that you lean in. He's saying these crowds are mixed with people who reject me, receive me, and those that just don't know what's going on yet. And they all have a responsibility. And the responsibility to receive the word of God by faith. To lean in and receive these gospel seeds. Even the smallest seed of faith, the size of a mustard seed, can move mountains of separation between God and his people. Which, by the way, that's what that scripture is talking about. When he talks about moving mountains, right? Faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. You know what mountain he was talking about? He's talking about a mountain that separated the presence of God in the temple from the lost people. He was saying with faith the size of a mustard seed, that, gone. So it doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out. You can, listen to me, you can believe all the right things about him and still not put your faith and trust in him and not know him. Ephesians 2.8 puts it like this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. And so even though God is the initiating factor for us loving him, he's even the one who gives us the faith to receive him, we're still responsible for how we respond to the faith he's given to us. Hebrews eleven six. 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, again, that does not relieve the responsibility to cast those gospel seeds with love and care, right? But only the Spirit can bring true revelation. So when Jesus quotes Isaiah here, he's actually quoting him in a situation where God's called him to speak to a people who would neither understand or receive what he was saying. But Isaiah was still given the responsibility to do it, to speak. But again, the disciples here, as Jesus is talking, they're leaning in, man. They're asking. It's part of what makes a disciple a disciple, right? Like the desire to follow Jesus and to know him more and more and to ask and to seek and to knock. And so if I say something here that you don't understand, ask, right? Seek, knock, lean in. Come talk to me. Find somebody else. Talk to them about it. Look, the reason people join Bible studies and community groups and things like that, it's not because they they have so much Bible knowledge and know Jesus so well and they're trying to show off. That's not the reason. The reason we do this is because we want to know him more. That's it. We want to know him more, and we want to encourage one another to know him more. And so you're welcome to join no matter where you are on that journey. And so Jesus helps his disciples better hear this parable, and he describes then four kinds of soil that represent the way people receive the word of God. So the first type of soil is the hard-hearted soil. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So this is that hard-packed soil. No room for the gospel to penetrate. Just bounces off. Again, this applies both to the believer and to the unbeliever. And it's often the one that's the most obvious, right? So like in the unbeliever, 
the hard heart's pretty clear because it's often even an illogical rejection of anything having to do with Jesus. Maybe they've been burnt by church or had a bad experience with religion and so they've just written it off all together and their ears are stopped and their hearts are hard and it's a, a part of it's just a self-preservation tactic. They may even stand on logic or truth as their justification and yet they irrationally dismiss anything having to do with Jesus in particular. You ever noticed that? That's not logic. That's actually irrational, which means it's about their heart. And so these, any, any seeds of the gospel, they just bounce off because their hearts are hardened, probably to protect them from those vulnerabilities that they've experienced or those places where they've been wounded in the past. And so like a well-worn and trampled on path, baked by the heat of this life, the very thing that can bring fruitfulness and life is rejected for self security and preservation more self-centeredness this is why debates and arguing over who's right and wrong do not ever help the hardened heart they're just going to get harder even if you win the argument they'll just harden in shame because they have not understood his love and his grace because it's about the heart So the only thing that can help that is faith. It requires a reception of that tiny mustard seed of faith. And that tiny mustard seed of faith, guys, is strong enough to break up and remove a mountain of granite, hard distance and insecurity. It's that prayer, that prayer of just, I believe, help my unbelief. Whew! It's that moment where you begin to lean in and you accept that Jesus is not only not not the bad guy, in fact, you have been running from the only trustworthy source of true love and security there is. But that begins the moment you start to just break up that hard ground, right? And again, this applies to believers as well. Like the fear of being led astray, that constant suspicion of everything and everyone, including yourself, creates a hard heart. Like not knowing if something's from God or if it's right or if it's wrong, and then you get this inner turmoil and this anxiety of not knowing the right thing, and it's, what do I do? And it leaves you paralyzed and just fearful of receiving anything at all. To you, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You have to let him be your shepherd and protector. You have to let him be your shepherd and protector. Not just your ability to decipher and figure out what's true and what's not by your own IQ. It's arrogant to think that you yourself are the purveyor of truth. Faith means trusting in the good shepherd to lead you and to not lead you astray. And so when he corrects, hear me guys, let it be a comfort and not a shame. Like you can get paralyzed by so be, being so fearful of doing the wrong thing if you don't know what it is, but if you're praying and you're asking God to bring wisdom, move forward. He's a good shepherd. He's not sitting there going like, is he going to mess up? You see, you watching this? You watching this, guys? Look, I think he's going to screw up. Lightning bolt, ready to. Guys, it's not Jesus. It's not the Father. It's Zeus. And, and it's funny, but we actually live in a Neoplatonic society that actually is based off of that principle. That's why God the Father is not depicted as a big old man with a gray beard. Zeus is with a lightning bolt. It's not the Father. It's not how Jesus describes him. You've got to accept that you're not perfect. Expect that he will lovingly correct those who follow him. And when he does, may it be a comfort and not a shame. Accept the fact that you're going to do that and let it be a comfort when he says, you're off the path. Be willing to receive. And if it's a rotten seed or if it's a weed, trust him and allow him to be the good gardener he is to remove it because he cares for you. 
Which leads me to the second one, shallow soil. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this one, this one gets really confusing because on the outside it seems that people are strong, faithful Christians who love God. Maybe they prayed a prayer of salvation and even really got involved in church at all things. They're going to everything. And that's great. And I would even say it's necessary. But like... Because, look, when you experience the love of God, especially for the first time, it's amazing, right? Like, you want to be around everything, Jesus. It's great. And, and it's, it, there's a deep joy, and there's a happiness that comes because there's a lightheartedness. You just want to be around all the time because it feels good. But the call isn't to associate with disciples. It's about becoming a disciple. And so the call is to root into the way it all, I'm sorry, it's not to root into the way that it makes you feel. This is important. The call is to root into Christ. Not just the way all the stuff makes you feel. Because listen to me, your emotions are great, but your emotions don't determine what's true. So for those who are, aren't truly rooted in Christ, when things get difficult, or all that stuff that was originally just releasing crazy endorphins, and you're like, I'm go- I love this church, I love these people, everybody's perfect. The moment you realize they're not, and the moment all that stuff wears off, and people disappoint you, or God didn't do what you wanted him to do, and your feelings aren't releasing those endorphins they once were, and that's that moment when you realize Jesus isn't necessarily making your life better according to you. Things may even actually be more difficult. He may actually start stripping addictions and sins you didn't even think that were there away, and it gets hard. And that's when the heat turns up, and that's when that plastic Jesus gets melted. That one that you created in your image. And the real one starts to get exposed. And you start to see true depth in Christ happening when you begin to follow Jesus because he is better than life, not simply because he makes your life better. Joby Martin said it like this, we don't follow Jesus because he makes our life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. I love that quote. Like, let the Lord cultivate deep soil for deep roots in your life. The truth is, the shallow soil is where the weeds thrive. Which leads to the third kind of soil, which is the divided soil. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the tentacles of this world are sneaky, and yet, they're very real. Like the Apostle John spoke of it like this. He's, he's this wise grandfather apostle of the church at this time when he writes this. And he, he writes 1 John 2, 15 through 16. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. So the temptation to find our acceptance and our approval and our identity in the things of this world, man, it's heavy and it's constant. And the moment you leave here, you're going to get inundated with it. And they're ready to make all kinds of promises to you about finding your hope in them in this product, or being like this rock star, or being like this celebrity, or being successful like this businessman, and if you have enough money, then you'll be happy, and all the stuff, and we see it for what it is, and yet it still draws us. But it's a lie, because you'll never be rich enough, you'll never be successful enough, and you'll never be sexy enough, and you'll never be cool enough. And there's nothing wrong with success or cool confidence. But Jesus has redefined what that means. The world's definition is simply a lie and a snare. It's all thorns and weeds that aren't only unfruitful, they choke out the real fruit that the Spirit actually desires to produce in you. 
Like he desires to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And you might be able to kind of muster up pieces of that, but you might have patience without joy, right? Or you might have kindness but no self-control. Spirit brings it all together. And so part of the curse of sin described way back in Genesis 3 was that we would toil by the sweat of our brow and the fruit of our labors would be thorns and thistles. And Jesus has taken the curse upon himself like a crown of thorns and he nailed it to the cross and his work was enough and he declared, it is finished. And so now he calls us to come and to rest in him. To rest in and receive the only real approval and the only true identity that can actually satisfy us. Because he didn't come, listen, Jesus didn't come to just set a standard that we're now commanded to achieve. He fulfilled that demand that we could never live up to. And so now our call is to receive the seeds of grace by faith. If you think you have to earn it, or if you think you deserve it, you'll never actually receive that grace because those weeds are going to choke you out. But we have a good gardener. Amen? And he's not, he's, he's, he's not going to forsake you in that place. And he loves you and he wants to cultivate and continually cultivate good soil, which is the last type of soil. Number four, good soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the cultivated heart. This is the heart ready to receive, open and available for what God would do in and through you. It's the soil that's come to the end of itself. Instead of being packed hard by the cares of this world and suspicious self-protection and self-centeredness, it's let go and it's faithfully ready to receive and receive deep down. Not just the truth or the concept of Christianity, but more importantly, the love of God in Christ. To receive his love, because the only way you're going to love him is when you realize he first loved you and gave the life of Christ, or Christ gave his life for you. And so, do you trust him? Are you humble enough to receive rather than just reject at all times? That hard-packed path is the soil that constantly rejects. The good soil receives deeply by faith, by trusting the gardener. And the result is fruit and yield. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and it's the yield of disciples making disciples, casting seed and leaning into the Lord of the harvest. And so I want to close here saying like just maybe you've seen me worship or maybe some other people worship and their hands are out like this you've seen that you guys probably saw it earlier you know people worshiping like that that doesn't mean that they're just from some particular flavor of christianity or tradition it's not what that means it's actually a biblical pro- posture of surrender and faith it's a physical stance of i am good soil ready to receive i'm not hard-hearted like eh. right it's a declaration that I am here, I am yours, I'm ready to receive, receive the seed that you have to give me this morning, today, even now. Now obviously no, it's not some like magic posture or anything like that, but it is something that can sometimes feel like it's an out of your comfort zone thing. And so um, if that's you this morning, then I want to encourage you to just stand and pray with me. In fact, let's all stand up right now as we, as we close and pray. If you guys would, I just want to invite you to just stand and pray. And if you would, just, just we can close our eyes and let's just lift our hands up to the Lord. God, thank you that you meet us. God, you even do your best work in us when we're out of those comfort zones, Lord where we're totally dependent upon you and looking to you and come to the end of ourselves. And so this morning, we look to your word. We look to what's true. We look to the truth and the reality of your love for us exhibited in Christ. And we say, God, 
do what you want to do in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Soften the soil of our hearts and till up what needs to be tilled up. Turn over what needs to be turned over. God, cultivate and deepen the soil of our souls to rest and to receive your love and your grace in spirit and in truth. God, help us to lead and help us to go and help us to grow and help us to produce fruit to cast those gospel seeds out into this world. And God, any weeds that are in our hearts and are in our lives, any places where we're not looking to you or we're trying to hold on to the things that we know you're saying release, God, we just lift our hands and say, God, cultivate our hearts, cultivate our lives. Prune and weed out anything that's not of you. God, I thank you for this church. I pray that you'd unify, unify us in your grace and empower us with your spirit to labor in the fields of harvest for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.